Yo, what's up, people? This is the Solar Kid, and this is the Other Side of the Sun podcast. And I've got my man Shinga, Shinga Saichet, and this guy's like, yeah. Um, I met Shinga through martial arts. I was doing Sanda, um, doing that at the Shaolin Temple in Chesham. And uh, I wanted to get him on to just have a chat because he's got uh, he's had a interesting uh, life, and um, I wanted to just speak to him a bit more about it. And uh, yeah, hopefully you can share with us some insights on what it was like, and uh, yeah, what it was like being a, a disciple of Shaolin as well. I'm, I'm glad you used the correct term. I thought you were going to use Shaolin monk, ah. which I'm not. So I'm yeah, well, I mean, we disciple and. Or well, student of student of Shaolin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, disciple. That's exactly what it means, isn't it? Just a student of Shaolin. So, um, you know, uh, in the past, a lot of people have. So, you're a Shaolin monk, are you? So, no, I'm not no monk. <laughs> I'm far from far from a monk, you know. Um, but yeah, a lot of get, uh, people get this idea that you know, if you study Shaolin, you you've taken the vows and you've become Buddhist and things like that. So I suppose that's the difference. Do you want to explain like what the difference is um, so people can understand the difference between a monk and a disciple of Shaolin? Well, number one, a monk doesn't necessarily do martial arts. Um, a, a monk is, is a Buddhist monk. is someone who follows the um, Buddhist religion, um, but they don't necessarily, like I said, do martial arts. However, at the same time, a disciple or a Shaolin disciple may have taken some vows um, if they live in a monastery in the Shaolin temple, um, but maybe they haven't taken the full vows of um, practicing Buddhism to its fullest, you know, um, like, for example, giving up certain things like not being a, not getting married, um, not giving up meat and things like that. That's part of taking the full vows of being, being a Shaolin monk as well as other, you know, Thai monks do the same. Um, so, yeah, uh, I haven't done any of that. I haven't been through that process and I'm not Buddhist either. Uh, I'm from a Muslim background, you know, so um, I'm Muslim. So I come from a fairly, you know, fairly different teaching, although there might be some similarities in, in what Buddhism teaches, what Islam teaches. Um, but yeah, I'm from an Islam, Islamic background. Okay. It was actually quite quite difficult uh, when I first started Shaolin, actually, because one of the first things that people said to me was, yeah, but you're Muslim, why are you doing Shaolin? <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, why are you dressing up in robes? Why are you dressing up in orange robes? Why you got these beads? Yeah. You know, I, I used to get a lot of those type of questions. Why are you shaving your head for? <laughs> <laughs> how, old, how old were you when you uh, actually got involved initially? Well, initially I got involved in Shaolin when I was 20, let's say 28. Okay. 28. So, so I started off. Yeah, so I started, yeah, quite very late. Um, it's funny actually because it's something I wanted to do as a young kid. You know, I, I was born in the eighties. You know, so when I was growing up, there wasn't any, or that I knew of, there wasn't any Shaolin uh, martial arts going on in the UK um, until later on, which I didn't know about as well. There was a, a temple opened up in Tufnell Park, I think, around maybe around two thousand something like that. Um, I still didn't know about it. Um, so yeah, when I was a kid, that's what I really wanted to do. I really wanted to learn Shaolin Kung Fu, and that that comes from watching all like Jet Li movies, like yeah. and, you know Shaolin Temple, uh, watching Jackie Chan, watching Bruce Lee. Um, you know, I loved it. Uh, you know, although it, the the general thing that I wanted to learn was Kung Fu, um, but then I, I played with karate a little bit, done Taekwondo for a little while. Um, and to me, it wasn't the same. You know, I was more interested. Like karate, I felt was very, very rigid with the with the school that I was learning at. Mm. Um, taekwondo, oh, I enjoyed taekwondo. It was really cool. It was really good. Um, like the training was really good. 
However, I felt it was more more the sporting element, um, which I didn't enjoy. You know, yeah, it's it's very uh, it's co- it's competition based, isn't it? Mm. Um, what I really wanted to 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 do is learn the art of Shaolin. You know, that's what I really enjoyed looking at. Um, you know, the the artist side of Shaolin. What were you doing before that? Up until 28, or like in high school and that kind of stuff. What was, I mean, you, you grew up in East London, right? You said. Yeah, I grew up in East London. Um, so, I, I mean, at 28, what was I doing? It was a long time ago. <laughs> I was just working. I was, uh, I was in office work. Okay. I was in office work. Um, what happened was at around, I used to play a lot of football um, uh, when I was in like from my 20s. And then I had a, a football injury put me out of football for about six, six, seven months, something like that. Um, so I didn't do anything for a little while and then got big. <laughs> you know, I was, at, I was at home for a good few months um, before I recovered. So um, I got really big. So then I started running. Um, I started running every day, three miles. That's all I knew what to do. So I just started running. Um, then I started playing football again. Um and then as I recovered, I started doing other things like badminton. I started playing badminton and I went into this leather center and I heard I heard a noise from behind the curtain that was covering us playing badminton and I heard ha 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 and I recognized it straight away. Um and it was this guy um leading a Shaolin class. Oh. Um I had a little peep around the corner, saw what was going on, went and spoke to him after his lesson finished. Um, and I joined joined that school straight away. Mm. So, and that's kind of like where my journey started um, from from that sound. I heard that and I was like, yes. And I thought, I thought, I did think to myself, you know, I'm 28 now. Like, um, should I really be starting something like something like Kung Fu is for kids? No, mm. I did. You know, that did come across my mind. But then I thought to myself, you know what? I wanted to do this from when I was a kid. There's no better time than now to just go ahead and just do it. Um, you know, when you're a kid, you might not even, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had the money to yeah. do it when I was a little kid. Um, but I had money. There was nothing stopping me from starting. So I joined the club straight away and I used to train uh, about three times a week um, up in Leighton and Walthamstow um, with, this, uh, with this guy, Shiffle Brown. Um, so that's where my journey started. That's that's um, it's almost similar to me because like I, I started Capoeira when I was about twenty eight, twenty nine, and it yeah. was also literally the same thing. I mean, growing up where I did in South Africa, like there was, I didn't see no, there was no Capoeira, nothing, and it was always something, you know. I think it was from Tekken or you know from watching Tekken and watching. Yeah, yeah. You know, watching and seeing that guy do all these flips and stuff. And then eventually this guy in Chesin, um, I think it was in like 2009, he started a class. And then I literally, same thing, you know, where you're thinking like, damn, you're like 29 years old. Why are you getting into this now? Like you're old, like, you know what I mean? You shouldn't be doing this. And by then yeah. I'm just, I was just like, nah, screw it. I'm just going to do it. And then ended up doing that for like six, seven years, man. I mean, I got like up about three or four belts and then he had to move and like some of the classes were in London and it just became too, you know, tedious to like to travel and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I mean, same for me, man. Literally. You, you say about Capoeira, I mean, that's, that's another thing that, um, that I wanted to do as, as a kid. I, I watched, um, some, uh, it was, what movie was it? Only it was the Brave. Called, on, on, only the Only brave. the Strong. Only the Strong, yes. Only, <laughs> it, with, it, with Mark the Cosmos. Yes. The cash cost, I don't know his right name right, but I saw that movie and I was like, wow, this is sick. <laughs> you know, we a couple of looked at it. And again, yeah, all the flips and everything was there, but it was, it was the art, the style that, that you know, intrigued me. Um, so, yeah, you know, if it wasn't going to be Shaolin, it would have definitely probably be gone that way. Again, when I was growing up, there was no Capoeira classes going on. Um, that I knew of anyway. Um, oh. And it wasn't as easy to just find something like, we didn't have no internet, so you couldn't just Google uh, Capoeira classes in London, you know? Mm. So Yeah, um, like, how did you get involved in with the temple and that? Because obviously, so you started your, 
um, Shaolin journey in Leighton and then yeah, yeah what led you because I mean I know yeah. you've been doing it for a while now um, you've done it for a long yeah so so what happened was um, so w- when I was training in Leighton um, uh, Matthew actually used to train at that class Daga we call him Daga um, he used to train um, with that school not necessarily with that teacher there was another Chinese teacher that used to teach there called Heng Long um, so he used to train with him before he went off to China um, and the year that I had got involved with that school um, Matthew visited the UK uh, so he had he had been already cha- training in China for about four years or so and oh, he wow. visited the UK and he came down to the school so I got to meet him um, and he came to one of our classes and he was giving everyone a, a little hand and everything. Um, and I, I just really gave me a hand with, with something that I wanted to learn. It was something called twirling kick, which I really wanted to do. Um, and we just got talking from there and he said, he said, you know, that the following year he's going to be back again and stuff. So, um, you know, to hit him up and he was part of this show called the Shaolin Wheel of Life. Um, and he was going to be part of that show. Um, so he got in touch with me and let me know that he's going to be down. Um, needed some uh, posters and leaflets. And I've done graphic design, so I've got a couple of leaflets or posters done for him. Um, and then met up with him, went to watch his show. I went to, I think, it was on for about two weeks. And I think I must have gone at least eight times to watch <laughs> that show. I couldn't get enough. I couldn't not get enough. Um, so yeah, I went to watch um, breaking boards and doing all those things. Yeah, everything. I mean, the Shaolin Wheel of Life wasn't the first Shaolin show that I saw. So before I started Shaolin, um, I actually went to watch another theatre show called Kung Fu Masters or Shaolin Kung Fu Masters, um, and that was up in Hoban. Um, and that's where it kind of re it, it just gave me my memories of what I wanted to do as a kid you know so I was amazed by what what I saw you know firsthand on stage um, and then obviously I started Shaolin with that school then I met Matthew and then I watched The Wheel of Life like eight times and each day I just took different people with me um, just so it gave me an excuse to go again um, but yeah, Shaolin Wheel of Life was more story-like, so it was very interesting to watch, um, rather than just come out and just start breaking stuff, you know, it was story-based, based around the whole Shaolin story, how the temple came about, how the, how the students and teachers came about, and, so, um, and how it all developed. I actually don't know much about the story of Shaolin, like how did it actually um, develop the, like, the whole Shaolin philosophy and the teachings? Well, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of myth around behind that, um, but you know one of the most popular um, I won't call it a myth, but um, one of the most popular stories is that um, the temple was being persecuted um, by by the emperor of that time. Um, the emperor wasn't too happy about the fact that um, these monks were becoming powerful and strong and they were holding out against him so he tried to um, demolish the temple and kill everyone in it which he succeeded saved about five or five or six months who then went on to um, become stronger and redevelop the temple in a different way um, pretty much to what it is now so and still continuing on the Buddhist tradition and religion. So they kept, um, they kept so the they were, and incorporated martial arts, basically. Exactly. Um, and the main purpose of that, uh, of the Shaolin martial arts developing, was to protect themselves. Buddhists say um, they value a teaching called Ahimsa, which is non violence as well. So for me, it's always been a bit interesting how the, uh, you know, the two work together. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, Ahimsa also comes from um, Hinduism as well. Yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, exactly. And it was, you know, the story goes that it was a, a Buddhist monk from India 
um, that went to China and taught them about Buddhism and and taught them um, taught them meditation and so on. Um, saying that, then another Indian monk went went to the temple and he found that um, the monks were becoming very weak from the long hours of meditation that they were doing. So he started teaching them um, certain movements, which then developed further into Kung Fu. Also like Tai Chi, I suppose, because that's... Um... Something is called Baduan Jin, Baduan Jin, which you've done. Yeah, I remember Baduan Jin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Following that, so that's is that's also like part of Tai Chi, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you could say you know Tai Chi probably did probably developed from some of those moves as well. Um, you know what the 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 story is that all Kung Fu under the sun did came from Shaolin, Um, and you know, in my in my in my view, what that means is that people that develop their kung fu there, then you know, maybe they moved away from the temple and they went out, made you know, develop their own style of kung fu. Um, that's why you have certain schools that teach only mantis, for example. Okay. Some some schools only teach crane. Some schools teach something else. You know, um, so there's there's so many different styles. It's very hard to kind of pinpoint where it all started, you know. Um, what was your um, what was your journey like from then? Like once you actually got into it now and it became a part of your life, how did it affect your your life? And uh, Well, you know what, to be honest with you, initially when I started, uh, when I, so I started training with Matthew as, um, as soon as he came back to the UK um, and he told me that he was going to, I remember this clearly, you know, we was, after one of his um, Wheel of Life shows, I was traveling back with him on the train and then he was telling me that he may be coming back to the UK and starting up his own school. Um, so when he came, he hit me up and I uh, joined his school. I also used to train still at the school in Walthamstow. Um, you know, out of respect for, for that teacher, you know, he started the whole sh- whole journey for me. So I was going to both schools at first to start off with. Um, and it was pretty difficult to balance that. So I would go one uh, one or two days train with Matthew, and the other two days I would train with um, Shifu Brand. And I kept that up for a little while um, until what I was learning was with Matthew, I found a little bit more valuable. Um, so I continued my my training with him. At first, we used to train at the Laura Totledge Center uh, just a few hours a week. Um, so like on a Friday, a couple of hours and Saturday, a couple of hours as well. Um, and this is all in between my work as well. I was working full time Monday to Friday. Um, at that time, I believe I was working for uh, a training company which worked with offenders. So I had a project that I was running for them. So I was working with offenders throughout the week and then I would travel from Forest Gate um, to Cheshunt. Mm. Um, which was quite difficult at that time, rush hour, like 5, 5.30. Mm. Sometimes sometimes it'll, it'll be easy, it'll take me 45 minutes. Other times it'll take me two hours. Wow. And I'll miss, I'll miss most of the class, but then I'll still get there and jump in. Um, so those times were hard because, not hard, it was easy, but at that time it was, it, it felt stressful anyway. Yeah. You know, rushing around. And still trying to do what you really want to do, you know. Um, so yeah, it, it was pretty stressful, and I, it, it became one of those things where, and I'm sure everyone goes through this. It became on and off. So some weeks um, I wouldn't go in, you know, I wouldn't make it to class. Or some weeks I'll be on the road, get stuck in traffic, and I'll be like, Matthew, I'm not coming today. I'm not going to make it. Yeah, and it, you know, it'll be one of those things. Um, yeah, and, um... I think I started at the temple in 2015 or something, but it was Jonathan was there. Jonathan was the, um, the trainer. At that time. Yeah, Jonathan, yeah. So you know, we call him Janga. Janga, he, yes, he yeah. Started, yeah, he he. I think it was 2014 or 2015 that he started teaching his Sunday classes there. Um, yeah. Uh, so at at that time I wasn't a coach or anything like that. 
uh, I was, again, just a disciple. I used to help out with some of the classes here and there, like in the absence of Matthew, um, you know, who told me exactly what to teach, being one of the senior students. Um, and I had been probably um, the only senior student, or not the only, but a handful of senior students that had been there right from the very beginning. Because yeah. uh, like I said, at first we didn't have the temple. We used to train at Lord Trot and then um, Matthew uh, got the temple. Um, and when, when he got the temple, I was there right from the beginning. Um, yeah, so at that time, around 2014, 2015, uh, Janga started teaching. I used to come to his classes here and there, but my main focus was, uh, you know, the Shaolin element. Um, not that Sanda isn't part of Shaolin, it is, um, but I was focusing more on, you know, Shaolin forms, weapons training, Qigong, things like that. I didn't even know about Sanda at that time, like, because I just thought it was kickboxing. And I mean, I didn't know that Sanda was part of Shaolin. Like, yeah, how do you yeah. mean, explain it a bit about like Sanda and um, how it relates to Shaolin in that sense? Because for me, it was like Chinese kickboxing, I guess. Well, yeah, you, I mean, you can call it that. Um, Sanda in the loose translation is free fighting. Free fighting? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, free fighting. Meaning, it, you could call it a freestyle of fighting because Shaolin is so based around um, specific styles. And when you uh, when you go into it, like for example, uh, the traditional forms, you've got Qijing style, you've got um, Shaohong style. Uh, these are all different forms that you learn, and they're all specific styles, and you can kind of recognize who does what. Uh, whereas Sanda. Um, just like kickboxing, you, you know, just like MMA, um, like mixed martial arts, you know, it's the same as freestyle. Okay. You, know, you do what works best in terms of combat. Um, you, that's what you use. You use punches, you use kicks, elbows, knees. Um, obviously, in the, in the sport of Sanda, you don't use uh, elbows and knees. Throws, sweeps. Throws, yeah. um, as well. I seen like uh, there's some people that do grappling as well, and um, like I said, throws and exactly. yeah, exactly. So I mean, in that sense, you could say it's kickboxing. You can say it's Muay Thai. You know, it all comes into it. Um, bit of wrestling, bit of chinna, chinna joint locking. Um, oh. That's where the throws come to it. Okay, okay. I didn't even know that. I wish you had told me that in the beginning. I would have been a bit more. I wouldn't have been so rigid. <laughs> Because I thought it was first. Jungle, like, Jungle, just wanted you, Jungle just wanted you to kick the bag a hundred times, yeah? Oh my God. Or a thousand times. Oh my God. Yeah, he, he literally like... <laughs> the thing is with, with Jungle, he didn't even... I mean, like, I was trying to explain to him, like, yo, I come from Capoeira and there's no punching. So, I mean, I didn't... And I'd never done boxing before any type of, like, you know, first fight. Yeah. Sport. So, like, for me, it was completely new, like, actually standing and throwing... Like, I didn't even know how to throw a punch in the beginning. And like, I just got thrown yeah. in the deep end. And you know you know what training was like that time, bro. It was just like everyone just come there and they just want to spar. And it's all these big guys and they just want to kick the hell. Let's kick the shit out of you, bro. <laughs> Literally, yeah. I had to learn quickly, like, you know. But yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was really good, though. I, was, I think by the, well, by, yeah. the, by last so, um, Sorry, sorry to cut you off. I was just going to say that like by last year I was starting to really get the hang of it especially because we were doing more boxing and you know starting to get like into moving and that kind of stuff I was really starting to enjoy yeah. it yeah yeah Jungle was a very, very good trainer I mean I, like I said I only trained with him uh, I didn't train with him a lot um, but I think around 2016 or so um, I started coming into uh, the standard classes a little bit more um, you're just just joining in, um, and it was that's mostly yeah, that's at that time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's when I met you as well. Um, because at that time I was going through. Um, I wanted to go f ch change my. Um, uh, I wanted to go through a transformation because, although I had been doing Shaolin, uh, training a lot. Um, I didn't really pay any attention to eating or any eating habits and things like that. 
my eating habits were pretty bad, which kept my uh, uh, kept me out of shape. Um, I wasn't always like that when I started Shaolin because I used to run a lot and I used to play football a lot. Um, that's another thing I kept up with my football I, in the first couple of years of starting Shaolin, and then I gave that up as well because I started getting injuries from football. Yeah, that's and it like me from from <laughs> training Shaolin. I thought, okay, it's either stop shouting or stop football. I decided to stop playing football. Not completely. I would still go here and there, um, but it wasn't because I used to play two five-a-side leagues. I used to play 11-a-side on a Sunday. Um, so you were going I just in. gave that up. But yeah, when I met you, yeah. I remember you. I mean, like we were the same. I mean, we were more or less the same weight. We were like in the 80s or something. We were like 86 or something. I think maybe you were even a little bit heavier than yeah. me when I met you. Not a little bit heavier. I was way heavier. Oh, I was, you were probably I way was something. Yeah. Uh, my, my, I think my highest weight was around 105 kg. Which no, I don't think you were that. my size. Was it? But you were, you were bigger. Oh, I, no, I was. Like, I remember literally within about like six to eight months when I came, I was like, yo, bro, you just lost all that weight. Like, just like that, man. Like, well, I mean, it seemed like that, but that was yeah. months months of hard work like you know what I mean because I remember when I came yeah, yeah. us together to spar like <laughs> to spar together yeah, yeah. and I just remember like how hard you used to kick that I was just like oh shit this guy fucking kicks his <laughs> my leg off here man. but yeah and well, I remember you know, fun- like, my, like, well, maybe a bit bigger than me obviously at that time and before I lost it yeah, well. yeah I mean the, fu- the funny thing is um, apart from apart from uh, doing Jungle's class here and there I had no experience with kickboxing or sundial or anything like that. So every all of my basics come from Shaolin. Um, but didn't you, you know, do boxing? So like yeah. even did you do boxing? Sorry, did you ever do boxing? No. Ah, no. Interesting. Never, Never done like boxing, boxing either. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah. When I started, so when I started teaching. Um, and uh, obviously through my own research and stuff like that, um, I trained a little bit more on the bags. Um, and especially when I was losing, when I wanted to lose weight, one of the things that I used was was the um, punch bags in the Thunder Hall. Um, so I used to spend an hour, two hours just in there kicking, punching, kicking, punching. That's all I did. Kicking, punching, planks. Kicking, punching, planks. That's all I would do. Um, so I, I guess some of it developed from that. Um, in terms of movement for boxing and kickboxing um, or sunda, I think it, that probably came from my years of watching like someone like Prince Nassim and people like that, yeah. um, watching Mahabhi. So just just watching and watching all the Rocky movies. Um, so again, because I like I like martial arts, um, I pay attention to movement quite a lot, and I, I guess that's where it came from. Um, so it was quite natural for me to, you know, put the gloves on, start kicking and punching. So, but yeah, yeah I never done boxing. I mean, like I, I was never into boxing as a kid. It's weird. Like, I mean, I never, I wasn't into boxing as a teenager or anything. Like, it wasn't a big thing. Or even, I mean, I used to love the martial arts movies when I was a kid and all that. But when I got mm-hmm. I started getting into it, like when I started doing Sanda, because obviously I started doing research and watching and like. I got heavy into like Mike Tyson, man, like in watching his early fights, bro. And like just watching that kind of movement, like even just trying to emulate it. Like I couldn't, like you can't do it, man. Like he was just something else, bro. Like just a beast of a yeah. man, like the speed and the the, 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 the accuracy and the power. It's just like, yo, <laughs> yeah, no, I used to love watching that, man. And then I started really getting into it, like, you know, getting into the movement. That's what I'm saying by like last year. I was really starting to, you know, understand and like the thinking behind it, not just going in and swinging and kicking, yeah. and, you know, like literally doing that kind of stuff. Because I mean, I used to get yeah. beat up by these kids, man, that were doing the training with us, you know, these 14, 15 year old kids <laughs> banging, banging me in the face, in the head, giving me headaches and stuff. And I was like, nah, man, this can't be happening. Like, yo, I'm smarter. <laughs> You know, I think I think uh, a lot of times when when it comes to uh, combat, I think at least at least thirty to forty percent of it has to be psychological. Mm. Um, 
you know, the psychology of the, you know, the person you're fighting and your own psychology as well. How do you feel about fighting this guy? Yeah. How does he feel about fighting you? How's he coming across? You know, all of that plays a big part before you've even thrown a punch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you may be expecting something from, from that person, um, not realizing that what you're expecting is either going to be harder or much lighter. If it's much lighter, then it changes the, the game plan, you know. Yeah. Um, if it's a lot harder, then it changes the game plan by a by a long shot because when you get when you get hit hard, that first punch that comes hard at you, it <laughs> shakes you up. Where you get the zing versus the ear when your ear starts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when your ear starts ringing, and when when that hits you, then you're like, all right, oh, oh damn, I don't, oh, I don't know what to do now. Or like, how do you, like, yeah, how do you react? Yeah, how do you react? Like, do you do you act or do you react? Like, you know what I mean? Like, are you just gonna like, you know, pussy out the fight and like just try and block, or are you gonna actually try and think like, yo, how can I actually get this guy back now? You know, I think that. Well, you have to. You have to think. I mean, one of the things that I think one of the things that uh, Muhammad uh, Ali has said as well, and what made him great is he fought. He didn't just fight. He fought. Mm. Um. He fought the fight, you know what I mean? So um, there's got to be some sort of plan, but then there's also got to be flexibility in changing your plan as well when, you're, when, you, uh, when you get something that's unexpected. Um, I think one of the things that I, I tend to do when we've done sparring, even, even when I've sparred against you and some of the others at the temple, uh, one of the things that I always do is I always take note of how the person's moving, how the person's uh, punching, how hard are the punches, at one, what point um, is he going to punch hard. So those little te- telltale signs that tells me that they're about to punch hard or go in. Um, and once I kind of work that out, then I can play my game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but also when I do what I'm doing, I always try and mix it up. So, you know, I'll go in hard, then I'll go soft, then go hard, then go really hard, then soft again. Um, but trying not to be static all the time, you know. Um, I think that's something I learned as well. Was, um, because I used to think it was quite a rigid thing, you know, like the moves would only be, you could only do one thing. But when you get in the, in the ring and you like sparring, you realize like, yo, Yes, you've been practicing punching on the bag and kicking and stuff, but that's all you need to like figure out your own way. And I think like once I figured out that I can have my own style and I can kind of do things my way and manage the fight in my own way, like a lot of things from from Capoeira started coming back, like especially with the movement and also being able to switch up up my stance and like throw them off and come in with the right. And you know, I mean, throw lifts and, and then switching it up again. And then, like you say, you can also tell, like, when you throw one or two good punches and you get a guy good and then they get angry, you you learn how to manage the fight better because then they start coming at you harder and you can actually just feed and watch. Yeah, Yeah, that's your, that's your move, man. The fast, the quickness, the quickness, bro. I could never get you. (laughs) (laughs) I used to go for the body more with you. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, with, there's certain people that, like for for example, if you're up against a young guy mm. and he gets you straight square in the nose, it's one of the main things that's probably going to happen to you. Is you're going to get vexed. <laughs> nah, man. Wow. What these guys are punching me? What? You know what I mean? It, it's frustrating. It is frustrating. But once you get control of that frustration, yeah, that's when you become a better fighter because you're yeah. you're you're fully in control. Regardless of what happens, you're fully in control. And once you're fully in control, you can just, you know, do your thing. Um, and it doesn't matter if they get you here and there, just do your that's, thing. That's, that's what happened to me in the beginning is like if I'd spar with you or I'd spar, especially with like Chung or like with, um, what's your name, Dennis or whatever. And I mean, they fight this, they're like, they're, and they're quick and they get you in the mouth or in the nose, whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> but then as the more, the more I kept doing it, the more I started, you know, I could, I could myself actually starting to control the, the fight but then but then there's sometimes where you don't have that like you get in the ring with with um dagger and then you, you don't yeah. give, you don't give him no space no time to breathe and he's like 
super fit, super strong, super fucking yeah. super man. You know what I mean? Like, what do you do, bro? It's like, shit. Oh, my God. Whoa. I remember being um, I was just like, just be like, yo, you can do this, man. You can do this. <laughs> that's it. I mean, and that's, that's another thing. So, I mean, one good thing about sparring against someone that's out of your uh, weight class, for example, which Daga is, um, he's out of your weight class, so he's on a higher weight class. Is that when you get punched from Daga, it's not the same as getting punched by someone in your weight class. We're getting punched by me, yeah. you know. For example, unless unless I'm putting in a hard punch, yeah. so that Daga's light punch would be probably like my hard punch, yeah, you know. Um, and when you feel those punches continuously coming at you, um, yeah, it's, it's it's hard to kind of deal with it, but then you got to deal with it and then think, wait, hold on. Why am I just standing here dealing with it when I can move? And that's when you, re- when, that's when you decide to move. If yeah. you can move, you move. Well, you, you know, remember um, that was my thing is I wasn't moving, isn't it? Because he became, especially when I spot against him, because he'd just be like coming with that Mike Tyson kind of just. Yeah, yeah. Ah. <laughs> I was like, yo, leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, I started dealing with it a bit better, but still, man, like trying to fight, I mean, like spar with him is like next level. Man. That's, uh... Yeah. Well, I mean, also you got to remember that, um, like including me, um, Daga, Daga done it for 20 years. He's done, he hasn't done boxing, but he's done marble kumbu punch. His stance is going to be there. He's basic. Um, boxing stance is going to be yeah. there and it's going to be powerful. Um, you know, he's he's done millions of punches over and over again. You know, the same basic movement. Um, you know, the uh, core stance. Yeah, his legs are solid. Yeah. yeah. Especially because he got the Shaolin conditioning. That's what I mean as well, yeah. It then divert into his punch, <laughs> which is going to be devastating if he if he wanted to for a real real hard punch it's going to be devastating for the other person so you know regardless of whether he's done boxing or not whether he's done kickboxing or not it doesn't matter the, the basics are there it's like you know if you if you've done if you've done um if, you, if you've done a tricep um workout every day of your life for 20 years for example and then you put that into a punch, it's going to be a hard punch. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to be a hard punch. It ain't going to be like a soft punch. No. Oh. I'm glad I am glad I lost weight, bro, so that I could be in a different weight category. <laughs> What's his name, man? Tafari, he got batted up, bro, big time. I remember when we were doing our sparring last year, he got beat up, bro. Yeah. Like, and Matthew doesn't go, I mean, like, Daga don't go easy on no one, bro. He, like, he takes it seriously. Yeah. You know, even when I was heavy, I remember um, doing the standard sparring class uh, a few times, and I was up against someone like H. Oh, I yeah, now, H, H is like, you know, I'm five seven, yeah. H is like six something. Six you know, something. you know, he reminds me of like Sagat in uh, Street Fighter, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know, big, big legs, and he comes at you with those kicks, like, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. So he was big. So when I first got put up against, and mind you, I was completely, I was new to Sunda at that time as well. So when, when, um, Junga, Jonathan told me to, um, go up against Paige, I looked at him, he's like a giant. Huh? I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm maybe heavy. Yeah. But this guy is heavier and he's taller and he's bigger. His legs were like the size of, you know, just his calf was the size of my thigh, you know? So, um, and I remember getting the first couple of kicks from him. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember those, ki- those kicks, man. I had a few dead legs <laughs> quite a few times. Yeah. But saying that, coming from, again, bringing my Shaolin training into it, um, you know, it's like pain, pain is nothing, you know, um, we do so much qigong, like hard qigong, breaking, breaking iron, breaking bricks, all of that stuff. Um, you know, if you put that into context, when it comes to fighting, getting a kick, even though it hurts, you know, you you get rid of that pain in your mind. It's like that pain isn't there. Um, okay, if he's gonna kick, I'm gonna kick as well. 
I kick him. Maybe he's not used to getting kicked, and he wasn't. So I kicked him a few times, didn't like it. Then obviously trying to punch him in the face doesn't work. The guy's like up there, I'm down here. I'll go for body shots. Um, I'll go for body kicks. Uh, and I think, if I remember correctly, he was, I mean, he's fairly fast for his size, but not fast enough. So when I caught, when uh, when he tried to peep me or something like that, I think I caught his leg and I sweeped his other leg. He was down on the floor. So bringing someone, yeah, for me, that was achievement, you know, like to bring such a big guy down just from doing a sweep. And again, that's from basic Shaolin skills that I learned over the, over the years. Um, you know, those little telltale signs of movement that he was doing. And I, I was quick enough to see him and, you know, count, counter him. So, but yeah, that, that was, it was good experience, you know. Scary, but a good experience. And I, the other person was, um, I don't know if you ever sparred against Denzel. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. That was probably the most scariest ever. That guy. <laughs> but, but the thing is, I knew he was playing with me because, like, he's way too fast and too strong to just let he's me very that. He's not like Daga that just goes. But that guy, like, it's he's like a rock, man. He was, like, just fast yeah. and strong and hard. Oh, my God. Denzel. Jesus. So when we when I fought against Denzel, um, that was that was very difficult. That was extremely difficult. One, I'm in inexperienced, and this is an experienced fighter. He's a seasoned fighter, MMA fighter. And he's weak. Um, and I remember, you know, the first few jabs he gave me just shocked me. Just shocked me. It was just like, oh, ah, oh. <laughs> okay. How long? How long is this going on for? I don't know if I can do it. That's when that two minutes seems like it's gonna be fucking ten hours, bro. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, one of the most important things when it comes to, I know we're talking about fighting and sparring quite a lot, but one of the most important things is fitness. Your fitness level has got to be way up there yeah. to just do a couple of couple of rounds of fighting. If your fitness level is up there, then regardless of who you're up against, you know, you can deal with it. Yeah. No? Um, you know, I've done it a few times where, you know, I just lay back, lay back, let the other person tire themselves out, and then boom, going for it. Once you see you see them tiring out, um, you know, I, I've done that quite in quite a few uh, sparring sessions uh, against someone like even against someone like Denzel. Uh, so last year, uh, when he came, but when we had the we had the tenth, uh, the temple's tenth um, birthday. Uh, at the end of that session, um, there was also the men's class, which I used to teach. So um, I started teaching the men's class. And afterwards, we were having a little sparring session. Then Denzel was there and he decided to jump in on the sparring. Um, and I sparred him. He's very unfit. So I'm at the top of my fitness. He's probably at the bottom end of his fitness. Um, and again, I was I was worried a little bit because this guy's experience, you know, um, and having had the experience sparring him before, I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't. But then I got in there, I let him him burn himself out. My movement was a lot better than what I initially had when I first sparred him, um, so it worked out well for me. But he was he was huffing and puffing by the end of the, the end of the round. Me, I didn't really take any punches. Like anything to, to say, uh, you know. Um, but yeah, the first time I sparred him was like crazy. Um, but coming back to that, you know, I, I because I really enjoyed Sunder. I used Sunder when I wanted to lose weight. Uh, so I was I was at the highest peak of uh, the highest weight I've ever been at, which was a hundred and five kg. This is back in two thousand sixteen, um, and. I just decided, boom, enough is enough. Yeah, I'm doing Shaolin, but it doesn't reflect the way I look. You know, so people ask me, what do you do? And I'm like, yeah, I do Shaolin. They look at me, or they must be looking at me thinking, yeah, but you look like a fool. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Um, and in my mind, it, you, you, exercise, you, know, you exercise every day, yeah? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but in my mind, at that time, it didn't hit, you know, I, I was kind of a little bit in denial, you could say. You could say that 
yeah, but I can do this, I can do flips, I can do flick ups, I can, I can do so much, even with this weight on. Um, but yeah, if you looked at me, you'd think, no way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I thought, you, if, if I want to continue, if I want to be serious about this, then I've got to have the whole package. So I started working on just losing my weight. Within about six months, I had dropped about, I think, 25 kg or something like that. Yeah, that's so something was when I saw you the, like after you lost, I was like, yo, you were lighter than me. Yeah, yeah you're like, yo. Yeah. Like, the, the first, I think the first month or the first two months, I had lost 10 kg already. Um, and then I just kept losing, kept losing. Um, and I got to a point where I had lost around, the, the most I lost was about 35 kg. So I went all the way from 105 uh, to about my lowest point, which was 67. So wow. more than 35 kg. Um, which is a lot, and that I did within a year, one year. I remember that. Oh. So where are you now, man? Like, where are you now with your Shaolin and uh, uh, you still? Yeah, I just got a, one second. Yeah, I just got to set my. I, I got to put the charger on. Yeah. So yeah, people, um, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, give some comments if you can. Ask questions as well. Get back to you now. Yeah. So sorry about that, man. That's cool. Yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of Shaolin, um, you know, I've done ten years of it, um, and not to say that I'm not gonna do it again. I'm still gonna be practicing um, some of the elements of Shaolin, and even the way we train. Um, I'm going to the gym a lot at the moment, um, which I like doing. I'm still hitting the bag. Do, I love my skipping and things like that. So I'm just playing around with a few things at the moment until I decide what I want to do. You know, um, you know, I may I may take up boxing when when all this whole COVID thing is over. I might take up boxing. I might try my hand at MMA. Um, but yeah, I think for me, doing Shaolin for ten years, which is something I wanted to do, um, I didn't really put a time limit on it, mm-hmm. but I did. Uh, I did. I did kind of commit myself to it to say, all right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for a while. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I started it late as well. So, you know, in terms of my challenge journey, it's just on on hold at the moment. Uh, it might even be at an end. I haven't completely decided yet. Um, but in terms of the way the the way Shaolin train. Um, and the conditioning and the, the, the mindset that's always going to be there now. So, yeah, you know. that's a part of your life. Are you, yeah, um, do you follow your religion or are you spiritual or like do you follow any type of religious belief or spiritual practice? Yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, I've, I, I, bought, I was brought up as a Muslim. Um, I followed it a lot more. When I was younger, I used to practice. I was, I was much more practicing when I was younger for some reason. Usually, it's the other way around. Um, no, I'm, I'm saying that. Yeah, I mean, uh, at the age of 16, I was lecturing in my mosque, you know, um, in front of adults. Like I'm talking about big groups of adults. Um, so I used to spend a lot of time in the mosque when, um, you know, 16, 17 all the way to about 18, 19, something like that. Um, and, and even after that as well. Um, but yeah, at the moment, I don't follow a lot more. Also, one of the other things I, I like doing is I like learning about other religions as well. Um, in terms of comparison, I like to learn about the comparisons of other religions. Um and how how they would all tie together. I, 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 in my opinion, I think all religions are the same in their essence. You know, um, in in their beliefs, in their core beliefs, they're all the same. Um, and I think it's very important to you know try and get that understanding and learn about life through through those points of view. Um, you know, in general, we we all live the same life. We're not. Oh, we're not any different, but it's just the way we do things that's different. Um, and the way we do things which are different should be celebrated rather than saying, ah, oh, you do that or you do that. 
um, you know, that's the way I see things. So, you know. No, I feel exactly. What about you? No, I feel the same. I mean, I, I grew up Christian and like, I was the same. I was like a youth leader when I was, in, in, you know, when I was a teenager. And yeah. it was about like 22, 23, I went down like a, a rabbit hole of just learning about different religions. Went through Rastafarianism, Judaism, Taoism, Buddhism, all this. It's been an ongoing thing. Like my, I love history and ancient history and learning about things. Like recently, in the last few years, I've been more into um, Eastern uh, mysticism and philosophy. So like learning a lot about the Indian or like Eastern ancient traditions, the Bhagavad Gita, Mahabharata, um, reading all those. I've been reading those texts. Um, learning about like a lot of the different deities like Krishna and that kind of stuff. I actually yeah. on one of my podcasts I had a Krishna monk and we were chatting about um, you know, being a Krishna monk and stuff like that. So I find it I find it fascinating. And like you say, I I celebrate those differences because throughout all my learning and understanding I find, you know, love is is the common theme. You know what I'm saying? Like love your brother, love your neighbor, don't kill, don't steal. Like I'm pretty sure Every single one of, if if not all of them, that is like the main focus of uh, you know the the religion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of any religion, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think I feel the same, and I think it's when when people meddle with religion, uh, um, I think that that's when it becomes different. That's when it can be become something else other than what it was supposed to be. Yeah, I think like I'm right and you're wrong. That's when it comes in. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, we all shit the same. We all eat the same. We all die. We all born the same. We all die the same. You know, I mean, we have different pigments of of skin color and whatever and hair textures, but essentially, we all the same. You know what I mean? There's no one that has come back from the dead that has actually told us exactly what happened. So nobody knows. You know what I mean? Like. Well, yeah, that's it. There you go. That's it. Nobody, nobody can say for for surety, sure. and, and that's what belief. That's what belief is, isn't it? Um, you know, belief is all about um, you under your understanding of of something, um, which you take in for yourself, and then you kind of live your life by that. You know. Uh, the, those those principles, those set of principles set by that belief, is how you live. Um, you know, and that's a, that's another thing. When I was when I was growing up at the time, um, where I where I was living and the school that I went to was predominantly um, Asian. When I say Asian, I mean Indian, Bengali, um, you know, uh, you know, other a- a- Asian groups. Um, probably 10% white white students in the school. And believe it or not, it was probably one of the most racist schools um, around in the area in the yeah. sense that the Asians were the ones that were racist. So I I had... Um, racist I used to enjoy... Towards everyone. What's towards it? everyone, so... So, for example, I, w- I would have Filipino friends, I would have white friends, I would have um, black friends. Um, but my Asian friends, they would stick with themselves. Um, and then they would also say to me, why are you hanging about with that black guy? Or why are you hanging about with that white guy? And I didn't like that because, uh, you know, I was already Indian. And I thought to myself, there's nothing more I can learn about being Indian. Like, you know, I am Indian. You know, I want to learn about other cultures. I want to learn about how they live. I want to learn about what their background is. You know, I want to learn about their points of view, their beliefs, you know, how they're growing up. Um, and because I was really interested in these things, I would hang up with them, you know, or chill with them. So I would want to know about their culture and, you know, all of that stuff. I got involved in some bad culture, cultural stuff as well, uh, which I won't talk about. When I say, when I say bad, when I say bad, I mean, you know stuff that you know most people would call bad at that time i didn't see it as bad um let's just call it frowned upon yeah yeah but um, you're a teenager man we all did that when we, when we were teens bro i did it the same you know no i don't know about all but yeah yeah i guess so i guess so um not all of us but maybe you know it depends where you come from i guess as well like 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I got involved with you know certain groups as well, uh, which I was involved with quite heavily, um, which wasn't a good thing as well. That that definitely wasn't wasn't a good thing because it could have led me down a path of no return, if you know what I mean. So um, it's a good thing that I pulled I pulled myself out of that that sort of thing. Um, didn't really have any role models growing up or anything like that. Um, so it was just about, it, it was just about me knowing what I was doing or understanding where I was heading towards. Um, that kind of got me out of those situations. That's interesting. Uh, I, find, I find there's always like people like us in these situations because literally I was in the same thing. You know I mean? You grow up around certain people and certain things and you find yourself in certain situations. I mean, I come from a good home and whatever. And yet, I'd still be in places with people where, you know, you shouldn't really be, you know what I mean? And like I said, like you said, I could have been led down certain parts and I was probably close to it for like quite a few years in my teens and early 20s. But then I pulled myself out of it, but I didn't have like role models as well in that sense. They weren't like yeah. many successful people, who, you know, came from where I came from that was doing stuff. I mean, I come from like post-apartheid South Africa and that kind of shit, so. It was weird. Yeah. Like it's weird. Like how oh, I wonder what it is inside us because I know a few people like you and like me and whatever that like managed to pull themselves away. Whereas I have friends who are probably still doing that shit or like they're either in prison or they either been there, been to prison so many times or they're yeah. still on the block doing shit. You know, like what? I wonder what it is. You know, what I mean, is it destiny? Is it? I wonder what it is. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, that's a good question. I think. You know, in some ways, we are a product of our society. So if you see something that, if you see something going on around you, um, there's something inclined in you that kind of draws you towards that direction or um, based on, I guess, your personality. You know, everyone's got these personality traits where, you know, they have, they're either going to be led on or they're going to be the, the people leading, you know. Um, and depending on which one of those you are um, and depending on what type of interest you have and depending on uh, what type of things that you've seen, that you've heard, um, that kind of makes up your your subconscious of what, how things are going to be. Uh, because the subconscious drives you, isn't it? Your conscious is what you know you're doing right now. You know, what we're doing right now is our conscious. Um, However, at the same time, our emotions are subconscious. You know, they're automatic programming. That's like the the MS DOS or you know, do you know what I mean? The background software that that's doing whatever we're doing. Um, it's inclinations. Is is how you're going to react to what I'm going to say. It's how I'm going to react to what you're going to say. You know, um, and that comes out automatically. Um, so it's, I think it's those things that kind of take us down different paths. So we, both of both me and you, could be growing up in the same place. Like me and my brother, for example, me and my brother are very, very different. Um, we grew up in the same household. We went to the same school. However, he done things differently. I, I I've done this things differently. Um, you know, some things worked out better for him. Some things worked out better for me. Um, as well and we grew up in the same household same place well, as well there you go yeah it's weird but bro just in closing man I just want to say thank you again for coming on and um, is there anything like you want no. to focus with or like any I mean you've, you've said quite a few inspiring things throughout the, the, the conversation but like is there anything you want to leave us with I think I'll probably hit you up again maybe in a couple of months maybe a year or something and see where you're at and see, see what you're new yeah yeah definitely do some training as well yeah yes sir you know I'm there man I'm there you just need to tell me when just monster gym inside the ring sparring session yeah we go going monster gym yeah. is monster gym still open yeah it's open man okay okay yeah you can do it as you go there and stuff so yeah I'm on yeah, yeah. they got, got some nice bags there got the ring there mm. you can go there just, just do whatever training you want to do and then we can just hit it up yeah, cool, man. Let's let's speak about that afterwards. And that. But, um, yeah, just in closing, thanks again. This is the Other Side of the Sun podcast. I'm the Solar Kid, that's Shinga. 
You want to say anything before I finish? Yeah. You know what? A lot of people, I, I'll keep this as short as possible. A lot of people try to kind of find themselves, but it's not about finding your, yourself. It, it, you haven't lost yourself. There's always that true nature within you. So it's just coming back to that true nature. And that true nature is usually somewhere in your teenage years because in your teenage years, you don't give a crap about anything or anyone else. You're just doing your thing. So if you can find that true self again in whatever you're doing, boom, you're on, you're on the ball. Best man. Thank you so much, bro. Other yeah. side of the sun, peace and love. Don't forget like, subscribe, share. Yeah. We out.